This year our theme is Freedom in Christ, talking about a number of topics, different series that uh, we may not realize we have freedom in or may not claim that freedom, but uh, in Christ we're free. And there are so many great topics about that that we'll catch a few of them this year, not all. Our subtitle uh, is The Year of the Lord's Favor. We're also celebrating Northside's 75th anniversary and uh, kind of making a jubilee of this year and remembering the, the blessings that we have as a congregation. Uh, last week we started on our second series, Free from Sin. Uh, our first series was about being free from debt, and we talked about a, a very physical thing, a very earthly thing, something that makes us live a more abundant life if we follow God's teachings on finances and figure out how to stay debt-free. Uh, but this one we turn from a physical concept to a spiritual concept. We turn from something that makes this life more abundant uh, to something that affects eternity. Of course, this also makes this life more abundant, being free from sin. Uh, but the, the big picture, it has to do with eternal matters, the ultimate uh, matter of life and death, we said last week. Uh, we started this series with sin. We've got to understand sin. We have to get that the, the basics covered. So that's what we did last week, and we asked the question, what's so bad about sin? Uh, because in this world today, that's pretty much the question. Uh, people treat sin like it's not that big a deal. Uh, lots of sin is just overlooked and excused and ignored and rationalized away. Uh, the Bible speaks differently about sin, and I hope that last week's uh, time together got that in our mind that God has some definite ideas about sin. Uh, the Bible defines sin, we found out last week. It calls it lawlessness and going astray and missing the mark and unrighteousness and disobedience. Uh, and all of those, the lawlessness was the one that made the most uh, accurate picture of sin. It's where we, we know what God's law is, we look at it, but we rather do it our way. We are lawless, we turn away from it. Uh, God tells us how he looks at sin, and we looked at that last week. God says that sin is detestable to him. He says that he hates it, he, he can't tolerate it, he can't have it in his presence. And we finished last week by talking about, uh, finally, we saw how God describes sin. And he uses some very graphic, very gross, very uh, horrible terms to describe what he thinks of sin. And we went through those and discussed them as tactfully as we could. Uh, but God's language is not too tactful. God's language tells us over and over that sin is bad, bad, bad. And hopefully we got that last week. That sin, whatever level, whatever kind, whatever dimension or degree of sin, to God, because of his nature, and because he knows what it does to his children, he hates sin. Now today, we're going to talk about the bad news about God and sin. Bad news about God and sin. And some of you are thinking, well, that's great. We got more bad news this week. You know, it was horrible enough last week. Just finding out what sin is, 
and knowing that I sin, seeing how God feels about it, that, that was a bad week. And now we come in here and you tell me we're going to have more bad news. This is certainly an uplifting place to go to church, isn't it? Well, if you've just been here two weeks, if you visited last week and this, I beg you to try one more week. <laughs> It'll get better next week. But to really understand what free from sin means, well, we got to understand the bad news first. So that's our task today is to talk about the bad news about God and sin. Now, this message, it's less graphic than last week, but it's actually worse. It's actually more frightening. Uh, Brother Frank just read to you a passage from Revelation uh, 6. And we don't have to understand every detail in there, or we don't have to understand the, the book of Revelation in the kind of detail that some people worry about it. Uh, what the revelator is picturing here is a day of wrath. And he calls it the great day of wrath. He says that the great day of their wrath has come. And how he pictures that day, as we read through Revelation 6, beginning in verse 12, he talks about horrible things. And yes, they're symbolic. And maybe their figure are very, very literal. I don't know. I don't understand Revelation that well. But whether they're literal or whether they're figurative, he's trying to picture a horrible, horrible thing. He says there, there was a great earthquake, and the sun turned black, and the moon turned to blood, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth like figs dropping from a fig tree. And the sky receded like a scroll rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. I don't care if that's literal or figurative. That's a bad day. And that's what he's trying to tell us. This is so bad that the, the elements are going out of place. The mountains are moving. The sky is falling. It's a bad day. And then he goes on to describe what people are doing on this day. He says, the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, every slave, every free man. What were they doing when the, this day came? They were hiding in caves. They ran around the uh, hid in the rocks of the mountains, and they called on the mountains and the rocks, "Fall on us! Hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand?" Whatever day he's talking about, and I believe he's talking about the final day, the day of judgment, the day that we finally face God, he describes it as horribly as he can. We've got to know the truth about God so we know what he's talking about there. Truth one, God is perfectly just. God is a just God. We've talked about this before. We've spent whole sermons on it. Let's, let's get the, just get the basics. Since he's just, we know what justice is. Justice demands 
that you obey the law. Whatever the law is, that's what you've got to do. If you break that law, you've got to pay the punishment. Justice also demands impartiality. No respect to a person. Whoever breaks the law gets the punishment. Whoever obeys the law doesn't get the punishment. That's what justice is. That's the way the Bible talks about God. Job chapter 34, verses 10 through 12 says, So listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do evil, from the Almighty to do wrong. He repays everyone for what they have done. He brings on them what their conduct deserves. It is unthinkable that God would do wrong, that the Almighty would pervert justice. If we get in our head the picture of what justice is, absolute justice, God doesn't pervert that. It's unthinkable that he could pervert it. Now, to get this in your head better, think about human justice, human law. Do you ever see perfect justice? Well, we see justice sometimes. We think, well, that's right. That's a good decision. Read a story in the paper a long time ago about a little town in Oregon that uh, the state law said in a town of any kind, the, the standard speed limit's 35. And so this little town in Oregon wrote a city law that said our speed limit's 25. And then guess what they did? It was their main source of income. Okay? They put the police out there and they caught everybody going through town and charged them. Okay? They did it for years. People that knew about it would slow down. They knew where the speed trap was. People that didn't or tourists or somebody going through the first time got nailed. They, they thought it was unfair. But they still got nailed. Well, one woman finally had enough of it. She, she got so mad about it, she sued them. She sued the little town. And it got all the way up to the highest judge. And the judge said, well, yeah, that isn't fair. And he ordered the town to change their speed limit to meet the state law. And he ordered the town to go back and find everybody they'd collected fines from and give them back for the past 29 years. Yo, we got justice. Huh? Everybody loves that, don't they? They say, because what was unjust, what was being done was unfair, got righted. This is good. But how many times do we see that? Uh, yeah, we read some in the paper. We say, well, he, uh, old Bernie Madoff a few years ago, he, he stole people's life savings. And the judge rung him up and sent him to prison for life. And we say, that's about right. Uh, that's the closest we can get. It probably doesn't pay it all back. And it's not really fair, but it's, it's pretty good. But then the next day we pick up the paper and here's some child molester or rapist or degenerate that's released on some technicality. We say, that isn't right. That's not fair. It's not just. Okay? You see, God is perfectly just. None of that ever happens. When we read about somebody that talks their way out of something or somebody that bribes their way out. Doesn't happen with God. 
God is perfectly just. You get what you deserve. Truth number two, God is not only perfectly just, God is perfectly holy. And now holiness is a big topic. Holiness, understanding it in the, in the sense of God being holy is a, a great thing to think about. Holy, the word itself just means set apart. It means separate. You, you set yourself apart for something. The people that have been competing in the Olympics the past few weeks are the best at what they do. How do they get the best of that, that good? They set themselves apart for that. Most of them, that's all they do. That's their goal. They, they spend 18 hours a day working on that skill. Yeah, they're set apart for that. Okay, that's, that's what the word basically means. Now, God, when he says that he is holy... There's a positive sense to that, that everything he does is right. That he's uh, unconditionally upright in essence and action. Leviticus 20, 26 and 1 Peter 1, 15, 16 both say, you be holy because I'm holy. God says, I do things right. I'm upright in everything, and my people ought to try to do that. But there's a negative side to his setting apart. Is when he what he set apart from is he can't. Uh, he totally hates sin. He can't. Uh, he's totally opposed to it. He can't even look at it because he's so set apart. Habakkuk one thirteen says of God, "Your eyes are too pure to look on evil." You cannot tolerate wrong. It has to do with his holiness. He must be separate from anything that's sinful. And we talked about that a little bit last week. The more like God we get, the more of that we start to see in our life. We, we, I, don't, I can't take that. I don't want to be around that sin. But we're not like God perfectly. So there's some sin we tolerate and put up with. Psalm 5.4 says, you are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. That's how set apart he is, how holy he is. So he's perfectly just. He's perfectly holy. And truth number three is, he has a perfect wrath. And he will pour out his perfect wrath. Okay, now, this one is not politically correct in this day and age. People say, oh, God, I thought your God was a loving God. That's another topic. Yeah, he's perfectly loving too, but we're talking about the bad news today. We're talking about the fact that he is perfectly just, he's perfectly holy, and he has a perfect wrath. Now, wrath... Once again, we're not going into great detail on these, but we need to understand a little. There's two words in the New Testament for wrath. And the best I can explain them, one is kind of like a volcano that's not erupting. But it's active. You go up and you look over the edge into an active volcano, and what do you see? All this lava and stuff down there boiling and bubbling and going. That's one word for wrath. That it's... He has a constant anger against sin. 
That's how God feels about sin. He has a wrath against sin. And it's just, it's, it's down there boiling and bubbling and all of that. He always has that. And then there's another word that indicates wrath as an outburst. Like when the volcano erupts. That's what the revelator was talking about. This is that day. That their, their great day of wrath has come. It's going to erupt today. Yeah. Now, it's not like it's capricious or uh, emotional. or It's not like God flies off the handle with this wrath. It's because he is so holy, he hates sin that much. I put a pretty good quote on your handout from an uh, author named Jack Cottrell. He said, because he is holy, because he's perfectly holy, remember, it is impossible for God not to be wrathful in the presence of sin. Wrath is the natural and inevitable and eternal recoil of the all-holy God against all that is unholy. The holiness of God always burns against the very thought of sin. But this is not obvious and not observed until sin actually comes into existence. At that point, the holiness of God is unveiled as a consuming fire that must by nature engulf and destroy the offending evil. Just as a hot stove instantly vaporizes drops of water that fall on it. A good picture. That's the kind of wrath that God has, a perfect wrath. You say, well, I can't picture God like that. Well, go back to last week when we talked about us. When we experience sin in our life, when, when sin hurts or destroys one of our children or grandchildren or somebody that we know, can, can you start to think, well, I, I get mad about that. That kind of sin makes me mad. Well, we're just human. We're not perfect as anything, but God is so perfectly holy and perfectly just that he's got to have a perfect wrath against sin and against wrong. Now, those are three things we've got to know about God in this series, in this context of freedom from sin. But truth four is that we're all sinners. Romans 3.23, pretty plain, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. God's perfectly just, perfectly holy, perfectly wrathful against sin, and we're all sinners. I told you this was bad news. Now, to discuss the consequences of all this truth... I've chosen to use an old-fashioned balance scale. And I debated a long time whether to use this because there's some problems with it. And I hope you can understand the problems and keep them in your mind. i got to caution you. This is not a picture of judgment. I'm not talking about how God judges. I'm trying to give you a picture of God. But... Some people take this and, and put it in a picture of judgment and how God is going to judge. God's not going to have a scale on judgment day. <laughs> We're not going to go up to the great white throne and there's not going to be a big golden scale sitting there. And this is how some people picture it. Whether they 
picture of physical scale or not, that's the way they think about life. They think that God's going to have this big golden scale, and when we get there, he's going to open the big book that's got everything in our life, and he's going to start putting the weights on. Oh, well, here's a good thing you did. That goes on this side. Here's a bad thing you did. It goes on that side. And you did a good thing, and you did two bad things. And let's see here. February 23rd, 2014, you went to church. Huh, you went to class. <laughs> you paid attention to the preacher. <laughs> you know, oh, here's a bad thing. Uh, we get that in our head, but we're, we're going to stand there in anticipation while he adds all these up, and we're going to watch the scale, and, oh, and, and finally it's going to come out one way or the other, and there's a big pointer on top, guilty, innocent, guilty, and... That's the way we think we're going to be judged. Not even close. That's foolishness. Preposterous. So this picture, that's why I hesitated to use it. I don't want you to think it's about judgment. There's no guilty or innocent pointer up on top. This is just about God. And we won't really get it figured out until next week. But here's what I want us to do today. we got this scale perfectly in balance. And here's what we've learned about God so far. We've learned that he's perfectly just, perfectly holy, and perfectly wrathful. Now let's box those up. Let's take that knowledge of what we have and take all this understanding of his justice and we'll put it in a box. We'll put it in a container. So we got that box of justice. And then we'll open another box and we'll put all of his... Uh, holiness in there, what we understand about, how we figured that out, what we talked about. And we got this box of holiness. They're heavy boxes. They're getting heavier. And we take that third one and we think all we know about his wrath and put that in there. And we pick these three boxes up and we go to the scale. And when we ease them gently onto the scale, it crashes to the bottom. Completely crashes to the bottom. This scale about God, and we're going to learn more next week, when we put what we know about his wrath and his holiness and his justice on, it's way out of whack. That picture of God, if that's all we know about God, that is bad news. Why is that bad news? Because of truth four. We're all sinners. If what we know about God is he is perfectly just, perfectly holy, has a perfect wrath, and we are sinners, then we know that he can't tolerate us. We know that he can't, we can't be in his presence. We know that he hates and detests what we do. And if we know that, what do we do about it? Well, if we got good sense, we panic. But we kind of revert to that bad picture of judgment that I showed you, and we think, i got to do something about this. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start piling up my good deeds. I'm going to take my good deeds, all of them that I can think of, and I'm going to put on this side of the scale. And I'm going to think of every way I can earn any brownie point, and I'm going to pour that on my side of the scale. 
And I'm going to start making a list of all the bad things I don't do. Well, that guy over there, he does this, and I don't do that. And those people out there, they do these things. I don't do those. I'm going to put those on my side of the scale. And we keep pouring that stuff on, and this isn't budging, folks. Nothing we do can change anything about God being perfectly just and perfectly holy and having a perfect wrath against sin. That truly is bad news. We're sinners. And now we know about justice and holiness and wrath. We don't want to face him, do we? The only way for you to sleep this week, if you really understand this part, is to understand that there's another part. (laughs) Let me help you this way. When you go out of here thinking about this and how horrible it is, try to think of it in the abstract that this lesson, listen, what's it say? The bad news about me and God? No, this is the bad news about God and sin. Since we're sinners, it's bad news for us. But this is the part of God, His holiness and justice and wrath, that has to do with sin and how He feels about it, how He must deal with it, and and what He can't tolerate. That's about sin. Now, we've got sin in our lives, so we've got a big problem. But next week, we're going to learn about a whole other part of God. So... Please come back, is what I begged you to do earlier. But where we are, we are sinners. God's totally just, totally holy, totally perfect wrath. That's bad news. Don't want to face him. September 11th, a little over a decade ago, the Twin Towers started to fill up with heat smoke, the roar of burning jet fuel. When that happened, and we remember seeing the films, there were a few people that were in the floors above where that was happening. A few that chose to jump to their death. They saw what was coming. They knew how horrible it was going to be. And they decided, I'd rather jump out of this building. They'd rather fall to their death rather than face what looked to be unfaceable. Just a few did that. Revelation 6 says, when the great day of wrath comes, everyone, the mighty, the rich, the slaves, the free, Everyone is going to say, I know what's coming and it is unfaceable. So mountains fall on me. Fall on me. So I do not see the face of a perfectly just, perfectly holy, perfectly wrathful God. I do not want to see the wrath of the Lamb. So let me be gone now. The revelator says their great day of wrath has come. 
And who can withstand it? We can't withstand it. We would prefer the mountains fall on us than have to face it. Thankfully, there is more to tell. We're going to get there next week. The good news about God and us. The good news is that God loves us so much, He's perfectly loving. He's perfectly merciful. He's perfectly forgiving. He loves us so much that He's going to figure out a way to handle this. But to know how good it is to be free from sin, we've got to know the condition we're in because of sin. And hopefully today we've learned that. You may already know the good news about God and you. You may know the better news of the plan that of reconciliation that he has for us. If you know that plan and want to respond to it today, we invite you to come today. We invite you to come back next week, though, and hear the good news. Let's stand and sing.